uh, and this was a doozy, okay? I'll just, I'll just warn you right up front that um, this, this, is a, uh, this is red letters, okay? Um, these passages have sparked a lot of fear in a lot of people through years, and that's not the purpose of this. But let me just say this, as a pastor, you can look at, you, we can look at the, at the Bible and we say, well, you know what, man, I may not understand all that, or I may find some of that stuff frightening, even, um, and, and, and just never look at it or deal with it. You say, oh, well, we'll just kind of ignore that part in the Bible, but um, we're going to look at a tough passage, and, and I'm just going to remind you as we look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew 24, this is called the Olivet Discourse. And um, this, this is also the same teaching, or we look at Jesus' teaching, the same person that taught this also taught the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, is, is deemed one of the greatest sermons ever given. Uh, so as we look at, at Matthew 24, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're in Jerusalem. If you look at the chronology of this, what you find is, that this was on about Wednesday. And Jesus had already been to church and cleared out the temple. Now, that didn't, that didn't win friends and influence people, okay, for him. If he was trying to, you know, to, to build some sort of messianic campaign, that wasn't the way to do it, uh, unless you're the Messiah and, and you are the temple. Um, and then Jesus teaches his disciples... Um, privately they ask him lord when is the, the the big question is lord when are you going to establish your kingdom and in your kingdom we know there will be peace there will be righteousness there will be joy and there will be all the things that are desired there'll be justice and righteousness and when is when is all this going to take place and and then they say and when is the end of the age now that's a tough question and Jesus doesn't skirt the answer. Now, he gives us the answer not to scare us, but to, to let us know and to let his, disciple know, let his disciples know that God has the narrative. That the things that are going on in human history are not by accident or coincidental, but they are indeed providential and that actually human history is on a course, and that there is a larger narrative at play. And that narrative is one in which culminates in the second coming of Christ, Jesus coming again. Now, there's nobody that I know at least, or any reputable scholars that would say that Jesus first coming was not a reality he came in human history there's uh, biblical evidence of that there's extra biblical evidence of that in other words if there was historians that wrote about like Josephus a Jewish historian who, who would wrote about who wrote about Jesus and and he appeared in in human history as a historical figure and his message rocked the world and you know, we sing about the resurrection, I ran out of the grave, and, and we sing all those songs that, that teach us the biblical truth of Jesus' physical bodily resurrection. 
his ascension. And Jesus says, just like I, I rose from the grave, I'm going to come back. And all this stuff, if you struggle with, um, let me just say this, if you struggle with the idea of injustice in the world and, and why, do, why, do, why is wrong seem so strong at times and, and where is God in that, all of it, well, God's going to make it right one day. And that's what you get in these in these verses. So I'm I'm saying all that to preface this for you and for for all of us who, who trust Christ. This is not to um, a message that is intended to uh, strike some sort of fear in our life, but rather it's more like what Paul said. He wants us not to be ignorant concerning these things. So Jesus kind of teaches it, and let this kind of worldview kind of frame the way a Christian worldview. Uh, should be framed. Now, what we find is this, and, and we look at this. Let's go to the next slide here. We can see that with increasing spiritual darkness, an unsettling uncertainty on earth intensifies. And with that, the certainty of Christ's coming draws nearer. When Jesus ascended, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why stand here gazing into the heavens? This Jesus that you see who is, is leaving will come again in like manner. He is coming again. And throughout all the ages, throughout all of Christian history, people have looked for the coming of Christ, the, the second coming of Christ, the appearing of Christ. It is that hope that indeed should, should motivate us to live lives of purity and godliness. It should want us to live for Christ, knowing that that uh, I find great comfort in knowing that God is in control, because sometimes things in life doesn't seem like they're in control. Can I get a witness on that? I mean, sometimes life doesn't seem like it's in control. You, you're dealing with enough things in your life that you're saying, "Man, I don't know how that one's going to work out," or and, and you're reminded daily of the uncertainty. But here's one thing that we have, and we do know for certain, that God is providential, and that God is sovereign, and that God is in control. There is nothing that God is ever surprised by, and He doesn't get better or worse. He is. He is. And the same is true in the human history and the world history. I'll just tell you, there is enough in the news today to scare the life out of me. I don't know about you. But, uh, you know, if, if you get a daily do dose of the news, you, you know, no wonder we live in a world that is riddled with anxieties and fears. So as we, as we begin to look at this in, in Matthew 24, in what is titled the Olivet Discourse, we're going to look at that, that Jesus teaching. Matter of fact, there's some 1,845 Bible verses that deal with the second coming. That's why a pastor needs to look at this. That's why we need to look at it. And that's why you need to seriously look at this biblical doctrine. Um, there were three preachers discussing when Jesus would come back and, uh, and where he would go. If Jesus came back, where would he go to church? Good question, right? And uh, the Episcopal pastor, Episcopal priest said, well, he would go to the Episcopal church because of apostolic succession. You know, we've got this succession of, of, of in the apostolic line, and he, he would obviously go to church there. Uh, the holiness pastor said, no, he would come to our church because we're enthusiastic. And the Baptist, the Baptist preachers say, well, he wouldn't go to either of your churches because Jesus would go to our church. Why would you change? 
You'll get it later about this evening. Why would we ever tell? Y'all don't know that, do you? Some of you get it. Now, you'll get it later. You'll get it later. In other words, Baptist folks don't ever change. That's the moral of the story. Um, as, as we look at, yeah, some of y'all are. I'll, I'll mark that one. I'll, listen, I'll just, when I get a, after the sermon today, I'll just mark that one out, okay? You won't hear it again. I promise you. <laughs> now, we look at these passages today. What, what we have looked at so far is this, is that let's look at the scheme that, that we looked at in the Scripture and, and you have to do some digging, but, but you can, the Scripture actually does piece together. This is something that is not really mystical or kind of cryptic or anything like that. It is, it is something that you can look at, and, and the Bible does kind of give us a, a scheme by which um, there can be some deviation on this. But um, the Bible, I believe, gives us kind of a picture of Christ's coming. His first coming, uh, he, he came, and then we, we're living in the church age. And the Bible talks about a time when Jesus will come, and he will call believers up to meet him in the air. In other words, one of these days there's going to be a sudden disappearance of, of believers. And at the beginning of that time, the scripture talks about a period of seven years of tribulation on earth. And that's kind of where I left you. I left you mid-trib last week. I left you in the tribulation and I would like to tell you that the tribulation gets better from last week's sermon, but it gets worse. It gets worse as we begin to look at these passages. What we see so far as we look in Matthew chapter 24 is this. We see these four or five things that we look at here. Now let's look at them. Go ahead. We find that in the last days, this Bible says there will be deception. There will be lots of teachers, lots of false teachers etc. Many claiming to be Messiah. And that's happened throughout all of church history and through the ages. There's been folks who've, who have claimed to know the days and the hours and all of that. And Jesus said, listen, nobody knows that. Uh, nobody knows that. There have been deceivers. There's been distress among nations all throughout history. Uh, wars and uh, nuclear threats and all kinds of threatenings and all kinds of of banter going back and forth and, and there's conflict in the world there's conflict you know there's conflict in the world there's conflict worldwide there's conflict in your nation there's conflict in nations and among nations there's conflict in in communities there's conflict in your family there's conflict everywhere right and there's distresses among the nations then the Bible says something about there will be natural disasters. Well, there's always been natural disasters. Um, but what we see at the, to the time of the tribulation period, there will, those, those natural disasters will intensify. They will be more intense. He said that they, and he went on to say that, that many would be delivered up for persecution. Well, that's always been throughout church history and even is today worldwide. Some, uh, in many places, it's, it's not the, the privilege that you and I enjoy together in worshiping together. Um, in many places in the world, it's illegal. Um, and this has been going on toward the end of time, the end of human history. This gets more intense. 
And then he says there's that, that uh, the love of many would wax cold. In other words, there would be a, a generation and generations that would arise that there would be a uh, completely devoid of love and of law. Of law, a law of lawlessness, therefore, would prevail and there would be a lacking of love. So Jesus is already saying these are some of the signs, and you can look back through all of human history, and you say, well, that just seems to be the course of human history. And certainly it is, as you begin to look from Genesis on through the Bible and then on to modern history. We see that really nothing has changed in that regard, only we know more about it, for one thing, and the reality of it, it seems to be more intense. Here's what we do know, is we don't know that nobody knows the day or the hour when Christ shall return. But we do know that it's closer than it's ever been if we believe the truth of what he said. So let's look at, let's look at the scripture together. And Jesus said this. He said in verse 14, he said, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, there's going to be folks that take mission strips. There's going to be, there, the gospel is going to, to go out into all the world. Now, I want to tell you, in, in any point in human history, uh, right now, I mean, you know, the gospel can go worldwide right now, basically through Internet. The, the technologies, Daniel actually prophesied of this time. He said, in the end times, there will be an increase of knowledge and people will run to and fro. What did he mean by that? He said, well, basically, you're, you're, going, to have, you're going to have knowledge at your fingertips. And that knowledge will be at your fingertips and, and that you will have the ability to travel, to do an expansive traveling. You know, you, you think about that. In our day and time, I remember, I remember an elderly gentleman in our congregation years ago said, "Greg, he said, I remember when, when Wise, you'd go into the town of Wise, and and there was wagon wheel roads that would go right right through town. It was not even a paved driveway. There wasn't even a paved uh, a paved highway through through the town." He said, "I remember it, and I thought, man, you have seen a lot." He's he's went from going to see the reality of that to. Everybody uh, to, you know, people traveling in horse, on horse, and then a car, and then two cars, and then airplanes, and then to the moon in just a period of 100 years. Think about that. That's, that's phenomenal to think about. Um, that's why I think one of the reasons we have really, in, in, in other words, we have a, a better understanding of some of the things that make sense to us. Now, why? Because we've got some of the modern technology. We can understand some of this stuff that's going on. Because why? It's coming to pass right before our, our eyes. You can begin to see it. So the gospel will preach in, in all, all the world. Now, that's, that is, that's phenomenal. In 1900, only 15, 54% of the world had heard of the gospel. And now today, is, it is only 28% has never heard. So, Jesus said during this period of time, the, the gospel will go forward. Now, if you look at this and you, you look at the scheme of this, the church is gone and there will be folks who are dealing with the tribulation period of time. And uh, during that time, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will actually share the gospel. 
And what you find through the book of, in the book of the Revelation as it connects with chapter 6 on to 19 is, is that during this time period, God, the, the wheels of judgment do grind, but they grind very slow. Why? Because God is long-suffering and offering repentance. He's offering opportunities for people to turn from their sin and turn from themselves, turn from their wickedness, and to turn to Him. And so Jesus, you know, we, we, we see the reality of that throughout the book of the Revelation. Jesus is saying that this is going to be a part of this end time. So there'll be folks that will actually be come to Christ and come to faith during the tribulation period. But I don't think the church is going to go through it. At least I sure hope not, right? Now, I know that there's folks that believe that the church will, and I, I, I don't disagree with them. I mean, I don't, um, I, I don't have real problems with that, but I, I just, I, I'm praying and, and hoping that the church doesn't go through all that. Amen? And I believe that, that the Scripture does say this, that, that we are not called to wrath. God's not called us to wrath. He's called us to, to enjoy Christ and to, to enjoy His glory forever. So, this gospel will be preached. Look at the next one. So, there's declaration of the good news as a witness to the nations. Now, let's look at the second one in verse 15. So there's, there is going to be what he calls the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem by the Antichrist. Now this is like, now what is this? What, what is this? Well, he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who, uh, who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not, uh, not to go down to take anything out of his house. He's saying... At, the, at this time in human history, this will mark the midpoint of the tribulation period. And he's saying, when you see, and notice here, he's talking about, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's saying, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, what in the world is that? Well, Let's, let's, let's look at this. He says th- that uh, this is the Antichrist. Now, there's been Antichrist all throughout the ages, people who are Antichrist, small a. But there, there will be a figure that will come on the human scene that is, he is very charismatic. He's a great orator, great political leader, great military leader. He will, have the, he will have the ability, this person will have the ability to bring nations together, religions together. Uh, because, remember, the world is going to be in, in, in great conflict and great turmoil. And this person will come on the scene and he will make a covenant with Israel that he will break. And Daniel talks about this person as, as, an, as an antichrist. He's a political leader. Uh, this abomination of desolation, there was somebody that did actually come through human history that actually did something like this. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was, after Alexander the Great had conquered all the, all the known world of his day, he was dying, and he says, who are you going to leave it to? He had four generals. Well, he left it to a, one of the places was, one of the provinces was left to Antiochus Epiphanes. Tychus Epiphanes goes and actually around 150-some, 160-some 
somewhere along that line, B.C., uh, he invaded he invaded Jerusalem and Israel. And he goes in and he sets up a temple. He in the temple he goes and sets up an his own or an image of Jupiter to be to be worshipped. Um, they they desecrate the temple in the Jewish mind. It was horrible. They uh, uh, sacrificed a uh, swine, a sow, on the altar, and killed forty thousand. Uh, Jewish people, and then sent many others in slavery. He was an antichrist. And then Jesus says, as, now notice here, he had already come. Jesus says there's going to be one coming that's going to be like him who's, who's going to do the abomination of desolation. Now here's the deal. There's no temple in Jerusalem. But there is a temple institute. In other words, there's a group ready that's waiting to build a temple in Jerusalem. And... Um, Notice here, he says, during this time, this Antichrist is going to come and he's going to turn on Israel. He is going to be everything anti-God. And uh, he's going to draw a coalition of nations together. Um, as we look and uh, we, we see that, that this, this, this guy will, will do the unthinkable. He will set up an image of himself to be worshipped in the temple. Now, again, the Scripture says when you see this time period, when you see this, know that, he says, you know, he says, don't look back, leave Jerusalem. <laughs> that's, what he's, that's what he's telling the nation. He says, don't look back, leave Jerusalem, because it's going to really happen. Um, God will begin to pour out his wrath upon the Antichrist. There will be this period of time that God will begin to pour out wrath in a, for a period of three and a half years. Now, let's look at the next verse. Because what we see is, notice here, look at, look at Luke 20 and 20, 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Uh, for there are days of vengeance that all which are written may be fulfilled and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Gather and destroy the great city and the Jews. So Luke the historian talks about this. He talks about this period of time as well. Um, the, the, the third thing that we see is this, is that there's going to be deceptions. Again, deceptions intensify there will be people that will arise during that time and say false Christ and false prophets will rise they will show great signs and wonders to see even if possible even the elect so there's going to be there's going to be uh, desecration of the temple there's going to be deceptions that will intensify and again he says he says this in the Olivet Discourse again he already said it in some of the prior verses so all of a sudden we begin to see this, this, the world is becoming darker and darker during this time period. It's becoming darker and darker. And then look at verse 29. There's darkness and cataclysmic destruction in the heavens. 
He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will refuse to shine. It will be darkened. The moon will not give its lights. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers from heaven will be shaken. My friend. In other words, the earth is going to be an uninhabitable environment. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers from heaven will be shaken. Now, Jesus... These disciples were not surprised by this. You know why? They had heard it read in the synagogues. They had heard it as they would read the scripture of the Old Testament prophets. They heard these very things. They were like, what? You know, you and I would go, what? They were like, they knew it. Why? Because Jesus was not teaching anything that they did not know. They knew it. They understood the reality that there would be cataclysmic darkness. Notice here, the sun does not shine. It's almost like an uncreation. Think about it. This time period is almost like an uncreation. It's like God is undoing. Why? Well, what did... You see, as we begin to look at, at, at this, you say it is, it is God's judgment upon evil now people are wondering where god's at when everything's going wrong in the world the old folks used to have a song our lord keeps a record doesn't he he does and the things that the the things that you ask why about and i do our lord knows about it And our Lord is the only one who is just and righteous to bring a righteous judgment. Thank God He shows mercy. And thank God that we live in an age of mercy and grace. But I want to tell you, when Jesus comes back the second time, He is not going to be coming back as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He will come as a mighty warrior king who will establish righteousness and judgment. Now, that's not my thoughts. That is, as you begin to go through the Scripture, that's what you begin to see. In other words, as we look at time, God is long-suffering toward us, and by His grace, He calls us to repentance and to himself out of his great love. Now, one of the things that you find out as you read through the book of the Revelation, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to read it at night before you go to bed. You know, this is something you start in the morning. But as you begin to, as you, you look at it, is this. What you find is, is that God over and over and over brings mercy and grace and gives and, and, and allows people the opportunity to repent. And yet there's some during that tribulation time period who are dead set against anything that is God, period. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go wrath, matter, go to, you know, to deal with wrath. God doesn't want any, but the Bible says that, if he, is, that he is powerful enough to do that. I remember one time one of my 
one of the pastor friends, Dave McCowan, he preached a message. He was all the things, it was a Thanksgiving service. It was a community Thanksgiving service. And one of the last things that he said he was thankful for, and he went down through a list of things that he was thankful for, and one of the last things that he said he was thankful for hell, and I went, oh, man, you know, Dave. <laughs> and then after I started thinking about it, I'm like, Dave's right. He, he, he's like, you know, he, he's thankful that in the end, God, God brings justice and righteousness, and in that, period of time in between the grace period of time he brings a lot of grace and forgiveness i want to tell you something i'm very thankful for god's grace and forgiveness and his mercy because there's really only two type of people there's ones who are trusting in the blood of christ and the death on the cross, and the resurrection, and Jesus taking our place, and there are others that saying, no, I want it my way. And the reality of this world is not about me. The world doesn't center around me, and it doesn't center around you. But the Bible does teach that it centers around his Son, who is God in the flesh, who is the coming Lord. So he says there's going to be darkness and cataclysmic destruction. Jesus knew this. The disciples knew this. This was something that they knew about. And then he said in verse 31 that, go ahead and go to the next one. Then the sign for the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will be happy, right? No, they will mourn. Why would they mourn? Well, they would mourn because, because the Son of Man, they will see Him coming to the cl in the clouds of glory and great power, and they're going to go, oh, those preachers were right. Here's what's going to happen as you begin to look at, at the convergence of Scripture. All the, the Antichrist and all the armies will gather in this valley called Armageddon. And they will gather to fight each other. And then darkness will come. And then they're going to see Christ coming in the clouds. And they are going to fight against what's coming in the clouds. And this is not going to be a great war, a campaign like we... It's going to be a campaign. There's going to be wars in it. But there, the, the, the Bible talks about this in this way. That Jesus is going to come in this dazzling, dreadful glory. And the nations will mourn. The Messiah that was rejected, the nations will mourn. There will be several in, in that time that will be saved that will come through a great tribulation period of time. And then the dreadful glory of God will be revealed in Christ's second coming. He says he will send his great angels and a great sound of a trumpet. They will gather together the elect from the four ends of the heaven 
to one another and then and then Jesus Jesus will open his mouth. Now I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians what it says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 says for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains restrains will be, will do so until taken out of that way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy in the brightness of his coming. You see that? I don't think any, my, uh, only me and you are happy about that. I want to tell you something, friend. You say, well, man, that's just scary. Listen, you're not going to be here. <laughs> you're, going to be, you're going to be in that great crowd that comes with him. If you're trusting Him as Savior and Lord. And here's good news. If you don't know that you're saved today, if you don't know that you've trusted Christ, the great, the great news is, is that this doesn't have to be a great uncertainty to you. You can know that you're forgiven and that you will be of that great number that comes with Jesus. Now, it's not like a big battle. I mean, like we would think. You know, this is Jesus comes in the air. Jesus speaks the truth because the Antichrist speaks nothing but deception. And all of a sudden, you know, I like what Dwight Pentecost, who's an old, old preacher, said. I don't know what Jesus will say. Jesus might just say, just go ahead and just drop dead. <laughs> right, you know, to the Antichrist. And, you know, that's it. What Jesus is saying is this, is that this world is so corrupt, it is more corrupt than we could ever imagine. But there's a Savior who's coming to make all things right and good. And what you will see during that millennial period is a time that will be like it was at creation. Now, Vance Havner, an old Southern Baptist preacher, said this, and I like this. He said, we're not looking for something to happen. We're looking for someone. We're looking for someone to come. Let's go ahead and put that up. We're looking for someone to come. And when these things begin to come to pass, we are not to drop our heads in discouragement or shake our heads in despair, but rather lift our heads in delight. Why? Because Jesus is coming in glory and power. My friend, this is not the meek and lowly and mild Jesus. This is the Jesus who comes with righteousness and judgment. This is the Jesus who comes with, with purity and power. This is the Jesus who comes and makes all wrongs right. Now that's the biblical narrative. That's the biblical narrative. I think one of the reasons perhaps why we struggle so much with these verses at times is that we've got our tent stakes down here just really tight. And the winds of adversity blow in our lives and we say, man, I've got to cling to something. I've got to cling to the Lord. This is great news for, this is good news to know, comforting news to know that, that, the, that God is in control of human history. And that God has the pulse beat on it. It is also good news to know that there is a God of grace and mercy and love who calls us by that to know Him. That's why Jesus took our wrath on the cross. 
So when somebody says you want to be saved, you know, what does it mean? Well, it means that without Christ, without God, I am on a, I am on a train wreck, folks, headed to judgment. That's what it means. And Jesus, Jesus comes that we can have life and have it more abundantly. That's why Jesus came to extend and pour out his grace upon us. So what he comes to do for us is to pour out grace upon us. But know this. Know this, that God is in control. And Jesus gives us the insight. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. What are you looking for? You say, Greg, I'm just kind of looking for life to be a little easier. I know. You know, there are days that I do that too. Believe me. There are days that I'm like, you know. I want to ask you, do you know, do you know that you've trusted Christ? Now, only you know that. Are you trusting Him or are you trusting Him this very minute as your Lord and Savior? The good news is if you, if you are and, and you've professed Him, you know that you've come to have His life living on the inside of you, you've been changed. And the reality of it is, is that He is the coming Lord. He's, he's, he's the coming Lord. We're going to see Him face to face one day. Every man will see Him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. And the question is, when? When, when, you, when do you do that? Do you wait through all your life and say, well, I want to live my life myself? Well, here's the deal. The kingdom is not yours. It is, uh, it's not, you know, you're, you know, are you living for your kingdom is what I'm asking. Or are you living for the kingdom of Christ? kingdom of Christ there's love joy peace and long suffering and fullness all in the Holy Spirit that's his kingdom are you living in that kingdom or are you living in the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of darkness lives in deception it says yeah I want to make my own way I want to do it my own way I can I'm good enough I've got enough religion in me I've got enough family pedigree I've got enough whatever to know and Jesus just simply wants to come and live, be Lord of our lives. To where we acknowledge that, that my life's really not about me, but it's about his life being lived through me so his kingdom can come in me. Let me ask you, have you ever trusted Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you know if you were to see God right now, would you know him? Would you... Would you say, Lord, I could stand confidence in knowing that the blood of Jesus has been, I'm trusting, I'm banking on that for my salvation. My friend, if, if you're not, then today, I've got great news, is that today, to, today can be a day that, that you enter into a relationship with God, your Creator, who created you in His image. That's why God has a claim on your life, is you're created in His image. When you come to acknowledge that it is not your kingdom, that it's not your way, and it's, but, it's, but it's, there's a greater one whom you've yielded to, my friend, you can rest with an assurance of knowing that if your eyes close on earth, that you can, they will open in His glory. I'm going to ask you, do you know him?
Do you know him? If not, you can know him even now. And it's not hard. It's not by you becoming more religious. It's not by you turning over a new leaf. It's not by anything, but it's by simply you opening your heart and receiving Christ and saying, Lord, I turn from my sin, I turn from myself, and I turn to you, the living Lord. Save me. Go ahead and play. I'm trusting you even now. Now, if, if you say, Greg, you just described to me, I have never trusted Christ, but I want to this morning. I want to ask him into my heart. So it's not going to be a... Simply slip your hand up and say, yes, that's me. I want to trust Christ today. I don't know that I'm saved, and I want to be saved. We'll have a prayer together. Anybody here at all? Anybody at all? Okay. Father, we are thankful that through the power of your Spirit, you've called us to be your children, to live in your assurance, power of your grace. And I pray that today, as we leave this place, that we can live with the confidence of knowing that we belong to you. And the world scene is not out of your control, but very much in control. Thank you for the teaching that you gave on the Olivet Discourse. That we are not ignorant. I pray that you would help us to live in the light of your coming. To live pure lives. To live holy lives. To live in righteousness. Until that day. Until that day we see you face to face in all of your glory. In all of your power. In all of your might. We give you thanks and praise, Christ, for all that you are. And now I pray that that the power of your Spirit would rest upon each of us. As we go this day, that we go in your peace, that we go in your mercy and grace. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray together and all God's people say, Amen.